Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Yeah, we do. We also have Robin Barr. Shalom. Shalom. We also have with us today a special guest to talk about the documentary Val, which is now available for streaming on Amazon Prime. It's Sherry Linden. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Although I woke up this morning and smelled smoke and that <laughs> made me very nervous. <laughs> Not the way that you Things want to, to wake up. <laughs> right. It like just the just the existential West Coast is burning kind of smoke. Oh, so man. yeah. But other than that, I'm fine. And I'm very happy to be here. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience by letting them know a little bit about yourself and where you come from? Um, sure. I'm, as I mentioned, I now live in Los Angeles. I'm originally from New York. I've been um, a film critic or an editor of film criticism for about 20 years now. I was the reviews editor at Variety, and I've been with The Hollywood Reporter for a while, mostly as a freelancer and in recent years as a, an on-staff editor, too. But I still write reviews, and I, I, I've always loved documentaries, so I do end up reviewing a good share of them. Outstanding. So you were the perfect person to have here for today as we talk about, once again, the documentary Val, <laughs> which is a documentary about Val Kilmer, uh, mostly shot by Val Kilmer, and uh, which is available now on Amazon Prime. So before we get into that, uh, the usual stuff, you can find us on uh, Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, emails, podcast, filmstage.com. And of course, you can give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. And uh, you become a patron of this here podcast by going to patreon.com slash The Film Stage Show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel and first crack at all movie-related raffles that come from thefilmstage.com. And we are also brought to you, as always by Mubi. Mubi is the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day at Mubi's curators premiere a brand new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime anywhere and um to that extent uh i wanted to highlight one of the things that they uh recently put on their service and that is ran by akira kurosawa wow yeah wow wow why, why are we saying that wow it's wow. <laughs> <laughs> a good movie um a retelling of shakespeare's classic tragedy king lear against a samurai backdrop um, a power struggle ensures in this film and is incited by how the two protagonists are disinherited by younger sons. This is, according to Mubi, 
Akira Kurosawa's masterpiece adaptation. It's a blood-soaked epic with a score by Toru Takemitsu, inspired by Mahler. Um, I'm going to take a moment because I have a bunch of friends who are in choirs and musicians and um, just say, sorry, I know how much you guys hate hearing about Mahler. Anyway, <laughs> this film is now on movie, and you can check it out along with uh, 29 other great films that are on there. And um, that includes The Brothers Bloom, which we talked about last week and which is still on there and which people should definitely check out. So if you would like a free 30-day trial of movie, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. I am going to take this moment to ask, can anyone hear the rain coming over my microphone? No. Can you hear my fan that's on above my head? (laughs) I cannot. No. Okay. Well, I just asked Nick to come in and and change it. Nick, do you want to say hello? No, he's shaking his head. (laughs) Manservant, (laughs) say hello. Just to ring a bell. Yeah, it it like started raining in the middle of my booby read and it was just like, well, that's good. Like I couldn't hear your cicadas either. I know. I, I am. I must have the settings on this mic just dialed in because there has been some crazy shit happening outside my house. And every time I ask Apocalypse. if you people can hear it, you just never hear it. Yeah. So anyway. Are we you just sure it's happening? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah. I watched Shutter Island the other night. break from reality, so. Brian? <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it's bad when you watch Shutter Island and then you're like, so if I were to go crazy and, and rearrange my own name into an anagram, what would it be? I think it's bad that you watch Shutter Island, period. (laughs) Full stop. Wow. (laughs) All right. We have changed the subject of the podcast. We are now just going to talk about Shutter Island and uh, apparently how wrong Robin is about it. I did go to an island off the Boston Harbor this weekend that was an abandoned fort. So oh. I think I know a little something about <laughs> which way. Wait, 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 I'm now curious. What island fort was this? It's Fort Warren. It's where they held uh, Confederate prisoners of war during the American Civil War or the War of Northern Aggression. I'm, however I'm you... really confused. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you go there? There's not a Bucky's there, is there? No, there was no Bucky's. There wasn't nothing. In well, then, fact, it's one of those islands where you had that? to take your garbage away with you. Um, <laughs> why did I do it? My friend collects these national park stamps, and they had a stamp on this island. Oh, so. my God. Oh, my God. I have a friend. <laughs> so so he was a Pokemon collector, is what you're saying. Yeah, but he collects the most boring type of Pokemon. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> I have a friend who um, she collects uh, crushed pennies or ground pennies you know when like you put it in and you get like a little thing out oh, oh the yeah, flattened yeah. pennies yeah you like yeah. you turn the crank and um mm-hmm. it, not like ground up pennies that you can put in flour. yeah i was like no, i was she, like jesus what what are you snorts them and she <laughs> claims it gives her the powers of lincoln no she <laughs> gets the crushed ground uh the the this, the flattened squash pennies so she was telling me because she lives in Florida and she's like, I'm driving up to Maryland. I'm, I'm going to take like three days, though. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a nice leisurely trip. Like, what are you going to do? And she's like, well, I've already printed out a list of everywhere that I can get a crushed penny. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is my friend. So we went on this three week road trip that I can't stop talking about uh, to the, you know, the south. We went through the Gulf coast. Yes, we went to Bucky's. <laughs> that was high on my bucket list. The only thing list. that he planned. Your was- Bucky <laughs> list. <laughs> Yes, it was a Bucky list. Um, and 
he just the only thing that he planned was where he was going to get these stamps. I went to so many goddamn forts with this man over the course of three weeks. No, okay, we're saying the word stamp. Do you mean like lick it and put it on an envelope stamp, or is like does he have like a little passport that he gets like he has a passport that he got specially made in Malaysia that can that is as thick as like the um as the uh the bible God, it called yeah it's it's like <laughs> as thick as the oxford Phone dictionary okay. it's enormous and he just gets these you know these ink stamps and he just goes in and he stamps so it is like a notary way. stamp it's like a person takes a rubber stamp and stamps yes. it yeah so yep. it's not even like I couldn't even use it to send a, a, a check to the electric company. No, <laughs> no, it's not practical in that way, Brian. But but the funny thing about this is I imagine there's a lot of places that he has to like research and figure out because yes. you don't want to just show up to any place and be like, hey, can you stamp this thing? And they'll be like, I don't have a stamp. Well, oh, so yeah. No, what are you talking about? He does a lot of research to well, figure this out. He does like, when does this open? When do people go on lunch? <laughs> like, how far is this from here? I mean, he, and it's all like lighthouses and forts and I didn't even know like that these random stamps stuff. existed. Um, I know. It's wow. my this is his major main hobby and I love him and I think it's fun. And I, I've done a million places with him like this. Yeah. My friend walks around with, does Bucky's have one? She's got like a fanny pack that has like a bunch of pennies and a bunch of quarters. Cause you know, you need the quarters to, to pay to grind up the penny and flatten it out. And she, there, there are whole websites where people write in like, Hey, this is, this is where the penny thing is. Like, this is precisely where it is. So oh you don't it's have like to geocaching, for but for pennies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, it's I, I don't have something like that. And a lot of times I've said, like, I feel like there are basic things that I lack. And so I feel like a weird collection, decency, decency um, a sense of being loved by someone who means it. Um, and Besides then, your daughter and your dog? Yeah. <laughs> they right. don't have a choice. Um, <laughs> as soon as she's like 16, she's going to realize she doesn't actually love me. Um and then um, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, like a fandom. But actually, that's a great segue <laughs> to talk about Val, uh, the documentary about Val Kilmer. Because in watching this movie, I was reminded that um, Val Kilmer was like my favorite star growing up, like as wow. a child. And Really? Yeah. So like, you know, people think like Top Gun, Tom Cruise, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, yeah, you know. Maverick, whatever, you know, Captain Mitchell, meh. No, for me, it was all about Iceman. I, like, watched that movie for Val Kilmer. And mm-hmm. growing up, like, I I watched, like, everything Val Kilmer was in. Like, when it came out. Like, I made my parents rent from Blockbuster uh, The Saint. I made huh? them rent at first sight, which came out in 1999. So I'm a 12 to 13-year-old boy <laughs> begging his parents to rent at first sight. The movie where he plays a blind man who gets a surgery that suddenly lets him see. Oh, that's that movie. Wait, is right, it Vera right. Sorvino? Yes, Vera it Sorvino. is. Oh, Lord. So I think I, I also was on cable. for a long time was in love with Mira Sorvino. <laughs> Oh, naturally. So, so what do you think <laughs> drew you to Val? Do you think it was his pathos? I don't know. We'll we'll have to talk about it. We will okay. we will definitely get into it because like watching, child depression was definitely his lips to Val Kilmer. <laughs> it may have been his lips. Um, 
his lips. Yeah. How could it not be? Uh, but anyway, uh, before before we get into more of the strange, you know, tapestry that is my past, which we've uh, now talked about in this episode, is soaked in tragedy and uh, sometimes monopolizes the conversation. Here is the trailer for Val, the documentary Val Val Kilmer, which again is playing right now on Amazon Prime Video. Hi, my name's Val. I don't do this with every interview I go on. Take you inside my home? I don't. But I'm going to. My name is Val Kilmer. I'm an actor. I've lived a magical life. And I've captured quite a bit of it. Yeah, push the button! I was the first guy I knew to own a video camera. Here we are, filming ourselves. Uh, is that a it's video rolling, camera? yeah. Oh, that's really cool, Val. I have thousands of All hours right. of videotapes. So that is part of the trailer for Val, the new documentary. That is out about Val Kilmer. Uh, once again, as you could hear in that uh, trailer, a lot of it uh, shot by Val Kilmer uh, from his personal video escapades, diaries, home movies, etc. So let's talk about it. Um, for anyone who's interested, there's not going to be a spoiler section. It's a documentary. I don't, it's, you know... What do you want from me? There's just not going to be a spoiler <laughs> section. So if you're worried about being spoiled on Val, go watch it and then listen to There's this. no twist or reveal. Right. It's not like at the end, I don't even, I can't even think of like a classy, non-offensive twist that there could possibly right. be in this movie. So it's just, it's not. It's, we're just going to talk about the whole thing and there's no spoiler section, so deal with it. Anyway, uh, so we will begin still, however, with our just nutshell basic thoughts before getting a little more granular. So, Sherry, would you like to enlighten us with your basic thoughts on the documentary, Val? Sure. Um, well, unlike you, Brian, I felt absolutely no attachment to Val Kilmer as a performer. <gasps> Please don't hit me. Um, <laughs> um, I never had anything against him. I just never, I, it didn't, nothing caught I didn't, other than the Doors movie and his performance as Jim Morrison, I never really felt compelled to follow him. So this documentary to me was revelatory in many ways because to me it was the most compelling thing I've ever seen him in. And it's a, it's a very poignant film in the sense that he's under, he's had throat cancer. Um, he says he's clear and healthy, but he had a tracheostomy, which has totally ravaged his voice. And one of the most poignant things about the film to me is that a good part of it is narrated, I think, taken from his autobiography, or maybe it's, it's new material that he wrote, but it's narrated by his son in voiceover which just has such a, an emotional pull because you can hear, you can sort of hear a bit of Val in it. And you also, if, if you've seen his son, Jack Kilmer on the screen, you know that he has his own particular screen charisma and beauty as his father did. And it's just, a, I think, a really powerful choice that the directors made. Um, so there's... The film, I mean, obviously, this this is not an expose. This isn't, I mean, Val Kilmer had a, 
sort of a bad reputation as being difficult. It's, it, it sort of deals with that in a few minutes and then dispenses with it. It's just more about him as an artist, as a creative soul, as um, someone who, you know, a baby boomer who grew up in an interesting family, uh, one of three brothers, how he was sort of a, a prodigy as an actor, um, and how he made his career in Hollywood, which I think is, after seeing this film, I'm still puzzled by that career because it's a strange one. He's He was a certified movie star, um, but yet he was always sort of just under the, you know, the real apex of movie stardom. He's never been nominated for a, an Oscar. Um, not that that's the, you know, the ultimate criterion of, of talent, but um, he's just, <laughs> I think he's never found what I took, one of the things I took away from the, the two main things I took away from this film is that he's a very interesting person with a great resilience, a great emotional resilience, and that he's never really there's, he's never had a part, I think, that let him really dig in and shine the way he wanted to and the way he perhaps expected of himself. Hmm. All right. So I'll leave it there, and I've, I'm eager to hear what you all think. Hmm. Bill Graham. So I, much like Brian, uh, I had a fascination with uh, Kilmer when I was growing up. Um, he was always my Batman, um, and you know, among among other things. Um, and so I was really curious to see this because I hadn't seen Kilmer in a while. Um, you know, he's still making movies even even to this day i think he's going to be in top gun maverick which is you know uh curious to see how that kind of turns out what they do with that um but it's it's one of those things where he's continued to still act and perform and do all of these things but in smaller films and things of that nature so um i haven't seen him in a while so it was nice to catch up with them but it is interesting to see and hear how people think that you know he was a difficult or you know uh actor that was not easy to get along with and i think i think sherry's right that you know they at a certain point just he never really found his groove and never really found a a role that he felt was kind of worthy of himself and so um i think that was part of his frustration as he went along in hollywood he kind of got into the system and then you know wasn't able to see himself out of it um which is unfortunate um but no, I, I think I think it's an interesting and and well done uh, documentary of of his kind of uh, upbringing and his childhood and everything like that. And um, you know, it, it's so funny thinking about like uh, how many people this stuff would be lost to if we didn't have Kilmer with a camera behind the scenes, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
because I, I just don't think that this this works nearly as well without that stuff, without that footage. Um, I think he could tell an incredible autobiography and everything like that. But um, in in this way, I think it, it really has an impact that uh, that's so different. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. But uh, it, it is difficult to see him in the state he is and also hear him like reflect on the fact that like everybody thinks he's really sick and dying and he's like i'm perfectly fine like i feel a lot better than i look Mm. and i was just like heartbroken by that so yeah i enjoyed it all right rob and bar yeah i'm I'm gonna echo uh the sentiments that bill and sherry have shared Uh, i thought it was a really watchable documentary i enjoyed it i think it um didn't go kind of far enough for me i wish it had been maybe a little bit more probing um it was definitely i wouldn't say it was like hagiographical per se but obviously it was uh, in tribute to val and maybe it would have been disrespectful to go to investigatory or something into more of like the the quote-unquote dark side of you know his career um but i still found a lot of value in, in what was shared. And um, I agree with Bill when you say that the archive footage is what makes this a movie, right? Like this is, this is why it was chosen to be a documentary and shared in this way. And I really enjoyed you. He had mentioned Sherry that um, Val is a, is a baby boomer. And, and I think he grew up in the time of a lot of different like cultural precipices or like, you know, going from, like kind of coming up just at the start of blockbusters. Um, Cause mm. I think he was, he started out like in the early eighties and was really just when like things like jaws and star Wars were starting to come on. Um, and it was like post new Hollywood. And, and then this, he, you know, a lot of the film is about how this, he was the only guy he knew with a camera and what a, what a revelation it was to have that kind of access. I mean, for us putting stuff on video is not only, uh, part of a daily life, but it's an expectation of life. And you look at things like TikTok or YouTube, even before that, where if you're not if you're not on video, you're dead, right? Like <laughs> the, the death of text. Um, so it's, it was really interesting to watch that from a sort of development of media standpoint. You know, you see over the years how it how the the change in the camera style and the uh, film footage just it that fascinated me. Uh, so I really enjoyed that that behind the scenes imagery um, that just really interested me from like a historical perspective. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it, 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 you, you both had mentioned that Val has never really felt like he succeeded in a lot of his ambitions. And to some degree that's true, but I, I look back at a lot of retrospectives and there's always a lot of buzz about his performance in the doors and how, Mm-hmm. that really should have led to an Oscar nomination. It's considered like one of the great snubs, you know, alongside things like um, Paul Giamatti in, oh my God, American Splendor, you know, where it was like that really should have been uh, part of the conversation at the time. So I think that he he was just on the precipice or just on the edge of some kind of uh, acknowledgement from his peers and it just never came to fruition and what the movie i wish had probed more for example is that his this reputation of being difficult because as we know the idea of quote-unquote being difficult is now being 
reframed in the in light of the Me Too movement. But I see this as more than just a Me Too issue because a lot of what a lot of these reputations that actors have had gained over the years is not just because they didn't follow through with the casting couch, but is also because they refuse to um, they refuse to take on these these labor abuses. And you know, um, Val talks about this in the film where the bat suit was so not just physically uncomfortable but dangerous for him in so many ways. And I wish the movie had maybe pushed that narrative or or explored that narrative rather a little bit more because i mean nowadays you have actors who post like an audition where somebody denigrates them and suddenly you're like wow like that's so unfair or uh really gets you on the, the actor side and think of how many thousands of these stories have happened in the past so i think um val really kind of made me evaluate that and it made me evaluate also just how much i've missed of his career and how much this movie made me want to explore more because i've never really clung to him i know he was considered a heartthrob that's not he's just totally not my type and on top of that so many of the roles that he's taken on were a little scary i think for me at that age like it's funny that bill and brian really um, really like adhered to this persona that he had. I don't know if this is like an anti-hero thing or a, or a, just a, a dark <laughs> type of protagonist, but I always thought he was like a little too weird and edgy and it was just so not like real genius or uh Thunderheart or whatever, um, which is, I think the first Val Kilmer movie I ever saw at the age of three. So <laughs> I just, yeah, he just never did anything for me. And now I'm like, Oh, this is the softer side. Val Kilmer and I I now want to see a lot more of his uh of his oof. Oh that's interesting. I mean I have the same reaction that I want I know I realized I've missed whole chunks of his <laughs> filmography. Um but for me I never I, I I like you Robin he wasn't my type but mm-hmm. I always thought there was it, it's because he wasn't scary or edgy enough. Oh. And I and for me, what the documentary, even though it is in a lot of ways a tribute film, and it's a, as you say, it doesn't push very far on some issues that might be thorny. Um, I felt like there was so much more texture to him mm-hmm. as a performer, and he even talks in the in the um, film a bit about how this is another Val Kilmer movie mm-hmm. that he's aware that he's performing and he's he's interested in that um, that dynamic of where is the line between me and the person I'm playing yeah and I and I it was just so much I mean I have I've had a mini Val Kilmer festival in my <laughs> house these this past week and over and over, I've been disappointed. I mean, except for The Doors, which I loved when I saw it. I, it's still an amazingly vulnerable and also preening and self-aware and exciting performance. But in everything else I've watched, and I'm, I'm, I would be happy to take recommendations um, <laughs> of the things I should see, but the things that I, I watched, I was... Uh, he was okay, you know. He was fine, but I I didn't feel compelled to um, follow this guy. So I don't know. It's and having seen the documentary and 
been touched by his story and everything he's been through and how he keeps rising, um, I, w I want to be more affected by his, his film performances. Yeah, I you know. That's, but, I think that's very interesting. Brian, what did you think? I mean, so again, I, I've I've been a fan of Val Kilmer since since Top Gun. You know, him him calling Tom Cruise dangerous and doing his little weird bite thing. <laughs> There's just, I think, like Tom Cruise in that movie is so bland in the way yeah. the movie requires him to be. Um, the everyman. Yeah, the every hot shot, really. Right. You know, there's a reason that, like, people, you know, are like Goose and Iceman and, you know, like, they love those. And then they're just like, oh, right. And then there's Pete Mitchell, you know, who I, I bet I'm the only person in in the state, you know, who could probably say, like, oh, right. What's Maverick's real name in Top Gun? <laughs> and it's Pete Mitchell. Well, you get all the medals, Brian. Right, I know, but like that's the thing is like because it, it, it the name itself is just so. Well, what's uh, Iceman's like, real name? Who gives a shit? It's a uh, Kaczynski, actually. Um, uh, <laughs> Ted Kaczynski. Yeah, that's the one. But anyway, so uh, but Iceman is is just he's got this like the anger, the chip on his shoulder, you know, to him made him more interesting to me. And I think that, you know, as as a kid, I just, like, attached to Val Kilmer because I was like, that guy looks cool. Like, it, it's that kind of thing. Like, if I could grow up and look like him, I feel like I would live a good and happy life. Um, he's such a prefect in that movie, and that's why I liked him the best. He's a prefect? Yeah, he was just all about following the rules. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why he, that's why he thinks uh, that uh, Tom Cruise's character is dangerous. Yeah, that guy was a douche. Um... And then, yeah, I just, every movie that I could see with him, you know, I, I would see. So, like, you know, True Romance took me a while because my parents were not going to let me see that at the age of six. But, like, that was a reason that I <laughs> wanted to see my parents. <laughs> that was a reason that I wanted to see it. Batman Forever, Heat, I, The Island of Dr. Moreau, which, again, was later on. And that movie's a friggin' mess. But, like, one of my favorite movies as a kid was The Ghost in the Darkness. Only of partially because of was. the lions. <laughs> The murdered lions. <laughs> the lions were murdering people. And they were not eating them. They were just murdering them. It was, uh, anyway, I don't, we're not going to get into <laughs> the, the story of the man-eaters of the Tsavo. Um, the Ghost in the Darkness is great. Actually, talking about bucket list trip ideas, I do want to go to the Chicago Field Museum and see the man-eaters. Because they are on display there. The Chicago yeah. what museum? Field Museum. Oh, um, cause is those, it like a lot of taxidermy? I guess, yeah, probably. It's probably like the New York uh, Natural History Museum. Hmm. But anyway, I want to yeah. see them. Um, they're, it's it's interesting because the lions in reality did not have manes, uh, but they did in the movie because I feel like you got to. I remember seeing Prince of Egypt in the theater. Um, you know, partially that's because. Oh, please, that movie. I can't tell if that's a good oh please that movie or a bad. No, oh, just that. I hate that movie and I hated it as a child and I will always hate it. Do I have to sing the Mariah Carey song for you? Please don't ever. <laughs> <laughs> Ten anyway. Commandments forever. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, I liked that movie. Um I'm a fan of I'm a fan of Val Kilmer. I feel like that's obvious by now. Um even I remember seeing I remember seeing Red Planet. You know, again, I uh, asked my parents to rent it for me because Hal Kilmer was in it. 
You had a crush wow. on Val Kilmer. I did. Well, here's the thing. Like when you're when you're growing up um, as as a I, you know maybe as a girl I don't know but as a boy I feel like there is a a fine line between the people you have a romantic crush on or the people that you have like a um, a desire to grow up to be like mm. that that kind of mm. that eros is very hard to disentangle from like you know. Just, I think that I could be that person. I would be cool and happy and successful. Oh, yeah. Like my obsession with Kate Winslet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I won that one in terms of picking <laughs> a weird actor who really blossomed later. Right. And that's the thing is that like I, looking at this, I remember Red Planet and and even at first sight and stuff. And I was like, mm, even even my love of Val Kilmer, I'm having trouble like really engaging with these movies. <laughs> and then... um. The Salton Sea actually is a an interesting film. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it. But yeah, I've been watching him <laughs> for for forever. Like there there's still a part of me that is attached to him and every time he shows up like when I finally watched Deja Vu and I was like, "Oh shit, Val Kilmer's in this." I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Or um there was like an episode of Psych. I was rewatching Psych and he showed up in one of those episodes and I was like, "Is that Val fucking Kilmer?" That's wow. incredible. Um and then uh, I think the last, the most recent thing I saw him in was Song to Song, which um, I was really hoping that they would devote like 20 minutes to that in the documentary Val, um, just because I would love to know Val Kilmer's thoughts on working with Terrence Malick. Mm. It's sort of just kind of flopped toward the end where you got like the good chunk of his career. But I mean, mm-hmm. you only you only got like some of these highlights where I really wanted more of a delving Right. I would have been happy if they did like if if he just, you know, if this was like a series and just like every every episode was like, (laughs) here's another of me looking back on this one film I was in. It does. I I think. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I was going to say, I think that I think that says something about the way that he views his career. I think there was a point where he kind of was like, and I guess that's it. Like, I just, you know, I will I will quick cut some of these movies but otherwise, like, I'm just going to kind of obviously, like, just shrug and just say, like, yeah, at this point, like, I was kind of on rails. Um, it just sucks that one of them was song to song, because I'm pretty sure in that in that movie, he, he like, cuts his hair live on stage at South by Southwest. Oh, really? Wow. I can't remember. I, I, I wanted to watch it again before I, I came on this podcast, um, just because I, I love Terrence Malick and I love song to song, which I know makes me weird. But, um... Mm-hmm. I uh, I had to cut a tree down today, so I did not have the time to do that. Was the tree threatening you? Is that why you had to cut it down? Or yeah, yeah. So my daughter is on a vacation at her grandparents' house, so I have like a very finite amount of time to get done the kind of home improvement projects that cannot be done when a five year old wants to help. Mm. And mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, I gotta I gotta cut this tree down because then I gotta like strip it and I gotta chop it up and then I gotta put it in pieces and get rid of it. And so it's. There's a lot of stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah. So unfortunately, I couldn't watch song to song. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I love Val Kilmer. And so I am, I, I could see a lot of myself, like as as the people were queued up to get his his signature um, mm-hmm. and were, were asking for for like, hey, can you write like, a, you know, you could be my wingman. Can you sign it? Iceman. Can you like, do this stuff? I was like, ugh. Those those plebs. I would one hundred percent bring my Ghost in the Darkness VHS. Oh Jesus! <laughs> like that's what I would bring. <laughs> like, that's the one that be I'm judging you. Right, or I'd bring song to song and just be like, "Here, can you sign this?" Yes, you are in so this movie. So you would be right, happily right. the person that both 
brings him great confidence and also diminishes his dignity at the same time perhaps yeah Mm. but i mean just like that's that's what it is and like so i i I appreciated the insights i appreciated even just like the walk down memory lane and like being reminded of some of these things like weirdly a lot of this movie made me think of my first relationship uh in high school because uh she and i sort of bonded over val kilmer (laughs) There was like a point where we both realized how much we loved Val Kilmer. Um, and um, like, I, I, I don't know why, but I quoted Spartan all the time and she thought that was great. And she loved the doors, <laughs> both the movie and the band. So that really like worked for her. And she also was a fan of um, Real Genius and Top Secret. So there was just like a lot of, of Val in our lives. And so it's it, it, in addition to him kind of really earnestly talking about what it is about acting that he loves. And it's interesting to hear that coming from someone who then also says that they never had the career that they liked. Cause it's, I think it's easy for someone like someone with outsized success, like Tom Hanks to be like the art of acting is so important, but I feel like Val Kilmer, it would be easy for him to almost be like bitter about the concept of acting after all this time, but to see him still having such a high regard for it, and holding it uh, in such high esteem was just really uh it was really great it was really i loved i loved seeing it so yeah that's a that's a long roundabout semi autobiographical way of saying that i enjoyed the hell out of this movie and i would suggest that anyone uh, who wants to know more about val kilmer sees it yeah. yeah yeah and you know we haven't talked very much about the i i don't even know if it's the elephant in the room but so much of this movie is about his illness not just the sort of fading Mm -hmm. of his career but Mm -hmm. how his illness his his actual voice like the thing Mm -hmm. that drives his ability to do his art has been forever changed and you know on the one hand you're watching it and you're like oh this has this has softened him to some degree or he's so lovable or whatever and then i really had to walk myself back and say like am i only saying that because of his disability like is there is there something ableist in my reading of him as, or is it just, he's an older guy and I tend to have like soft feelings about men who are sort of reaching their, um, their late middle age or early senior years. I just, you know, feel like there's a lot of, there is obviously a lot of wisdom there. He, you know, he seems like a cool cat, so to speak, (laughs) (laughs) but I really had to kind of stop myself and say like, Hey, am I being unfair to him? And thinking that, you know, he's humbled or something, which is so like that it really is ableist. And I have to, you know, watch my watch my bias in that way. But it was curious if anybody else had thoughts on that. And because I I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, I pity him or whatever. Like, that's the worst, utterly worst thing you could do for somebody who has a a health condition, you know. Um, And like, I I think someone mentioned this, like he it's unfortunate sometimes when somebody has a visible disability um, mm-hmm. that otherwise makes people think that you are in much worse shape than you are, because frankly, if mm-hmm. he didn't have that surgery, that's that changed his life, then he may not be alive at all. So it, right. in some ways it was a gift for him in the way that like a, an amputation or something could be a gift for somebody. Um, I, um, I don't know. I mean, so, you know, to, to get into that, um, we're you know talking about the last act of this movie where they kind of lose the the interest in following each movie and more or less talk about this this you know most recent chapter in his life i mean 
I I had no idea about this whole Mark Twain thing that mm-hmm. he that he started doing. Uh, so I I guess you know in a way like for me this would have been spoilers for the movie cuz I'm I'm sitting there watching him you know sell his land that he was going to turn into like an artist's retreat and you know start doing makeup tests for like this self-written one-man show about Mark Twain. And I was like Oh, this is going to be a fucking disaster, right? Like this like this can't be good. It's such like a 30 rock concept. <laughs> like if if someone walked up to me on the street and was like, "Yeah, Val Kilmer um wrote, produced, directed and stars in a one-man show uh, about like Mark Twain and he does it like in full makeup looking like Mark Twain." I would be like, "Oh, yeah, no, that happened in 30 Rock, right?" But it was Kelsey Grammer and it was Abe Lincoln. And um, oh, but no. like, then you start seeing it, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually really good." Like, I really quite enjoyed what he was doing, and it 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 was funny because he kept talking about it as being like, "This is the thing that's going to be the like the 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 role that will finally exercise all the muscles that I've kind of been letting atrophy." And you know, you hear that, and you're just like, "Oh boy, this is going to be like a weird vanity project." project. And to an extent, it it is in the fact that it's like just a showcase purely of all of his skills. But it was it was good. Like I liked it. I would have that. I mean, if you've got skills, show them off. Right. Exactly. So I'm like, oh shit, this is great. And then like I, you know, unfortunately, like in the middle of thinking that, I'm like, oh right. You haven't heard about this. This whole well, also this whole movie, I've been seeing him. You know, (laughs) you know, struggling in a way with with um his new physical reality. And so it it becomes tragic in that way, you know, where it's it's like, but I almost it was almost like kind of greedy. It was like tragic for me because I was just immediately like, well, they must have like a full recording of one of these shows, right? Like I can see this, but it is it's it's um I don't think that it I don't think that it softened him for me. Like I don't think I watched this and was like, well, I didn't like Val Kilmer, but now that I see him, you know, quote unquote enfeebled, I'm gonna feel like better for him or more warm towards him. I think it was just, you know, regardless of how strong he is or not, like you said, his, his craft has been altered by this. And so it just kind of becomes a minor tragedy, but nothing that I think like influenced the way I was looking at him. Like, you know, I, I, I always wonder whenever anyone talks about prima donna behavior on set, like how much of that is real, how much of it's not, you know, if you're, he was born what 59 mm-hmm. so you know if, if if the height of his his powers was in like the 90s then he's like early 30s like you know and if you hit that level of success and you you did it you know, i guess like you know well probably your mid-20s when he was doing top gun and everything yep like yeah you're you're gonna be a bit cocksure you're gonna be that way so i i i never i don't think i needed him to be softened so much for me like there's there's just a level of i don't know what to believe or not i know the movie's not gonna like paint him as a complete monster i think showing some of what he was doing on the island of dr moreau doesn't show him in the best light but there was nothing that i really saw in it where i needed to turn to i needed to question whether or not it was it was his disability that was making me feel that way Mm-hmm. Didn't we, didn't we watch that documentary on uh, for this podcast? Uh, I don't know. No, I think we talked about the color out of space, but and we uh-huh. talked about it, but I don't think we actually talked about okay 
Richard yeah. Stanley's uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. If, if, if someone wants to, like, go down that rabbit hole, holy shit, that, that documentary is fucking bananas and wild, because Stanley had, like, a full, like, meltdown, and, like, would sneak back onto set, like, every now and then. Like, he was mm-hmm. still in the area. Like, they basically just, like, kicked him off the set and then brought in uh, Frankenheimer, and so yeah it, i don't think his reputation coming out of that film i don't think anybody's reputation was probably very good coming out of that film you know um so and and what a heartbreaking situation for him to you know verbally state early on in his career that you know brando was like one of his icons and like one of the reasons that he wanted to be on stage and on screen and then to finally have it happen and for him to just be completely checked out and like there's there's this scene where he comes upon brando who's just kind of lounging on this swing chair and like kind of like jokingly like asks uh brando some softball questions and like just gets no response like brando is just completely i mean I think at that time he was probably full into drugs and everything like that as well, if if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, just like just mentally, just not there, like just checked out like, nah, I'm not going to interact with you, kid. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, damn. So, yeah, I imagine, Painful. you know. Yeah, it, it had to be painful. And, you know, the other thing that I think is interesting around this time is as Robin's kind of pointing out is that cameras become kind of ubiquitous. They they become very, very commonplace around the time that we start losing the footage of the behind the scenes. And so I'm curious mm-hmm. if, you know, th- there were kind of equal trajectories of cameras becoming much more common and much more, you know, uh, they got smaller and a little bit less, you know, obvious and and novel. Then also, and novel, but also like his movies started to decline. Like if you just look at his like Wikipedia page, you see like all these direct to video stuff that started happening right after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So 2005 and basically on, like he's just got a string of movies that are all like direct to video. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean Deja Vu is in there, but that's like one year after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So I mean, for a good six or seven years, he was basically just making direct to video movies um, in a lot of ways. So I can't imagine that he was all that curious or all that checked into those films. And so that's kind of part of why maybe he doesn't have that much behind the scenes stuff as well. Um, right. And you know, honestly, it could just simply be that this was kind of how they wanted to wrap up the film, and so they had footage, but they didn't want to use it. Yeah, that could be right. I w- yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there was footage because it just seems like a compulsion of his to mm-hmm. record, to document things. And um, I mean, there was it seemed like there was a warehouse full of stuff mm-hmm. that he that even yeah. he hadn't looked at in years. I mean, this was a monumental job for these two first-time directors who are both experienced editors, you know, to, to 
pick out pieces and make a movie out of it. I mean, it must, I, just, I can't even imagine how overwhelming that, you know, just the amount of material must have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When yeah. they showed that warehouse, I was just like, how, like, what is, like, what is, what is your life even like when you step into something that, and it's like, all right, here you go. I know. <laughs> I know. And I just wanted to start labeling and getting everything in a spreadsheet. I was like stressed out. I was like, do you just pick up the first thing and they're like, all right, pop this in. And then I guess we start coming up with hashtags and you know, right. like, and then we label it and then we go to the next thing. Like it's just, yeah. Oh my it's, god. The the other thing the other thing that really struck me was just how into acting Kilmer was and how much yeah. of a fan he he mm-hmm. was like the I the fact that he made like audition tapes for roles that like he wasn't even like properly auditioning for like was just like hey I heard you are making a movie like I would like to be in that movie. Let's, you know, here's some audition tapes. Here's some, some ideas. Like, I think he, he puts on like four different voices for, um, uh, full metal jacket. Yeah. 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 And, and you're just, it was just kind of in a way it reminds me so much of like people just geeking out on stuff and he was just <laughs> like so into it and it it is kind of heartbreaking to hear him confess like you know i i i found the most heartbreaking thing was when he says that every kid dreams of being batman but no one dreams of playing Batman (laughs) and it was just it was just like wow that was that had to be a devastating situation for him where you know he's he's coming off and he's he's got these big roles and his superstardom is starting to take off and you know uh he had just come off of I think Tombstone right before that right and it's like okay you go from making Tombstone which is this kind of very alive in a way right like his his doc holiday isn't like super active or anything like that but it's it's just got a lot of feeling to it and everything like that and then you go from that to having you know your performance basically ripped away from you because you can't act in this stupid costume that they put you in so right but he did i mean he turned down the chance to do it again he took oh absolutely he claimed his power and he said no i'm gonna act my ass off in the saint which is i mean that's such a hammy film it's uh, for good or for bad that's all about acting with a capital a you know yeah, i mean he's <laughs> i mean there's he's got one costume in that that's got this this these teeth <laughs> oh yeah 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 but i mean yeah i mean i can understand why he'd be like i'm gonna go from uh, a costume that does not allow me to act to like uh 12 costumes that allow me to right. act 12 different ways <laughs> and, you 12 know, costumes that are the performance <laughs> yeah exactly let the wig yeah. do the work um, I will say um, I, it's, it's not so much. I want to be clear. It's not so much that his disability softened me or whatever. It was just seeing a different side of him than I'd ever seen. And, and I found that right. endearing. Well, the, so, yes. Not just the vulnerability, yes. but the um, but almost like the childlike wonder that like he has about. Yes, the impishness. That is what endeared me, regardless of, you know, his uh, regardless of his health condition. It was just seeing this um, this. Ah, oh, there's like another word for it, almost like puckish yeah. way about him. <laughs> I am um, 
so this is stupid. Um, I know of his impish nature because I listened to his audio commentary for the movie Spartan. <laughs> God. And okay. he makes so many weird, like, again, like impish kind of like jokes in that movie or in that audio commentary for that movie. Like there's one that I always think about because it's so it's so weird. He's like saying that, like, you know, oh, in this scene, we're supposed to be on the East Coast on a beach, but we were, you know, shooting on the West Coast. And so we what we did was we turned the camera to the right instead of to the left so that it would look like the water was coming from the West instead of the East. And I was like, why would you say that? Like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, and you, you must know that a David Mamet film, the amount of people who are going to watch it is very small. And then the amount of people who are going to listen to the audio commentary is even smaller. So it felt like he was saying it legitimately just to fuck with me specifically. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, I'm sure that's true. 100%. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff like that. I will say that on that level, you know, seeing that other side of him, I um I found his his uh conversations like around faith to be disarming in that way. Hmm, tell just us more. You're like our that? resident priest. So. I am. Yeah, I am. Tell well, it's more. just you don't you don't often hear a lot of celebrities talking about faith in like an earnest way like you know when they get an award they might thank god but like i don't know it's i i just assume that every you know major hollywood star is a godless heathen or a scientologist you know so like but not a jew <laughs> no that's all the producers <laughs> oh right, right. i immediately <laughs> regret that joke <laughs> that's the, the... <laughs> but on, on in terms of faith i mean apparently i learned this from there was a big new york times profile of him a few months ago i don't know if you saw that but he's a very devout um christian scientist and it was odd to me after reading that profile that the 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 documentary doesn't even mention it i mean if it did it went past me i, I don't remember i think, I think he mentioned his mother was they mentioned that his mm -hmm. mom and his dad are and then he mentions a lot about how his mom kind of instilled that faith in him and he talks every once in a while about prayer and like you know a, a church group and stuff but he doesn't he doesn't ever you know say like I am Val Kilmer, Christian scientist, you know. Right, right. Because which, I think that was a his his kids had to convince him to get treatment for the cancer. I was just gonna ask about that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And yeah, he I feels I, I've read that he feels that that's kind of what fucked him up, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean he's glad to be alive, but he feels that the medical intervention was uh was, you know, not ideal. So yeah. Wow. So uh, he does anybody know the tenets of that faith? Is it like the sense that you you are messing with God's plan if you seek medical treatment? I you know, you'd think that I would know, but I do not. Yeah, come on, Brian. <laughs> no, I know more <laughs> about the Seventh Day Adventists <laughs> than I know about the uh, Christian scientists. Hmm. And I don't know a lot about the Adventists. <laughs> hmm. I would say but I think yeah, I, 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 that was another thing where I kind of was like, oh, maybe I should like read up on that. But like I said, I had to cut a tree down today. <laughs> right. But also that's, I mean, his passion project on, um, you know, playing Mark Twain is also tied to 
what's her name, Mary Baker Eddy, who I think is a, a, a major figure in Christian science. Yes. And this is his, I mean, as far as, according to IMDb, this movie dream project of his is in some form of development somewhere. I don't know what that means. But, yeah, I, I, I saw mean, that on IMDb and I was like, is that just because like someone saw this movie and added it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. But I don't think he's given up on that, that story that pairing Mark Twain and Mary Baker Eddy. I mean, that's his like driving vision. Um, it, it would have been interesting to hear more about that in the in the film. So according to Wikipedia, which is, of course, the greatest of all sources of knowledge related it to is, all things absolutely. religion. I mean, I will be honest. I feel that way. Mary Baker Eddy um, wrote a book called Science and Health with Key to uh, Yeah Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, and in that book she said that sickness is an illusion that can be corrected by prayer alone. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's you know. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. The most interaction I've ever had with the concept of you know Christian science is that I know that they have reading rooms. That's true. Like that's that's all I got. That's that's really the bulk of my knowledge of them. You know, there's actually one at the end of my block, and I've never seen a person walk into it or out of it. <laughs> and I've lived here a long time. Then is it real? A uh, good question. Is it a front? Maybe, is, maybe it's a front. Yeah. Is it like that one weird I, sort of grocery store that's in my neighborhood <laughs> where they have like two cans of beans and like a, a single three musketeer bar? Ooh, Ooh. Sounds like a front. 100% <laughs> I think we need to investigate. Nobody that can eat nougat is is a Human? real person. I yes. agree. Oh, that sucks. I love I love uh, three musketeers. You're no, they're terrible. Awful. <laughs> no, uh, no nougat, no caramel, no nuts. Wait, so you I don't, don't eat want Snickers? Any of that shit. No, hard. Wow. You were crazy. Stickers is okay. No, but nauseating. Three, musca- three Musketeers is terrible. And and to find out that Three Musketeers actually had like strawberry flavoring and blah 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 blah. And then Horrific. I think it was I well, think it was all, like the candy bar arms race has gone out of control. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently that was like nixed some like during one of the wars or something like that they it used to have like three three different flavors and one of them was strawberry and because of the war oh that's right we looked this up on an episode once because we've already had had to like scale it back and, like yeah. how there used to be banana Twinkies or something, and then bananas were rationed during World War II, so they became yes. <laughs> Why do I know it's this? Crazy. It's crazy. Well, that's the birth uh, of Fanta. Everybody knows where Fanta came from. It was where? Uh, the Coke. No. Coke. It's yeah, the so Nazis, the, wasn't it? It was. It's a Nazi soda. Uh, <gasps> it was created in uh, Nazi Germany because Coca Cola couldn't. You know, with the uh, war, um, not boundaries, but whatever, the, the embargoes, they couldn't, Coca-Cola couldn't send the ingredients over to to Germany. So the directive was, okay, factory that used to be a Coke factory. Now you make your own soda. And it used to be made with all this like nasty stuff, like apple peels and like whatever they could find. They just turned into a soda. And that became Fanta. And now it's a very popular drink. <laughs> all because of that song. Yeah, my husband loves it. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, I'm an orange. Most anti-Semitic guy. thing he's ever done. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it problematic to like Fanta? 
and drive I mean, a Volkswagen and like, wear Hugo Boss. Like, I wonder that stuff, too. Or Chanel. Like, would you ever wear Chanel? Uh, no. <laughs> Do you take Bayer aspirin or whatever? I don't know. I don't think so. I've never had anything that I think I've seen the label Bayer on. But that's just because I go for, like, the cheap-ass CVS brand. Hmm. Give me those tiny, tiny blue aspirins. I mean, but, like... Uh... I don't know. This is, comes up in my family a lot because it, it was like, oh, I would never visit Germany and like I would never let my mm-hmm. child speak mm-hmm. German. That's a very, very common thing in Jewish families. Um, yes. And in fact, G- I know German is a very common second language for students to learn in the United States, but it's pretty much common everywhere outside of New York City. Uh, I never saw I've never heard of one high school anywhere in the vicinity of the tri-state area that uh, offered German as a second language. It was yeah, because German was definitely one of the choices in my school. It was What'd like, you say, Brian? German was one of the choices in my school. It was like French, Spanish, and German. And I was like... Where mm. was this? In Maryland? Maryland, yeah. Well, yeah, huh. but you also have a high German population that I'm aware of. Do we? I think well, yeah, we I think got a place called Germantown, so that's possible. Yeah, and like a lot of Quakers <laughs> like settled in uh, the mid-Atlantic. Yes, but they're peaceful people. And Baptists and Anabaptists and yeah. yeah. We also have a very large Jewish population. That's true too. Yeah. Anyhow, what a melting um, pot Maryland is. <laughs> we went from Santa to Germany. Yeah. Legitimately, yeah. how did we get here? <laughs> and yeah, I um, what was I going to add about that? Yeah, nougat horrible. <laughs> right, we were Bring talking about back. fronts. We were talking about fronts. Oh, for we oh Christian science. science. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know enough about it to speak about it with any kind of thing, but it does appear that one of their major tenets is healing through prayer. And yes, modern times, they do allow for the use of some medical intervention, but they do kind of say that like the whole prayer thing only works best if you're not doing the medical part. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. It's like so, you take know. away some of those energy points or something. It's like, uh, it's like, um, Oh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, no blood transfusions. Yeah, I, I only know about any of these religions and their core <laughs> beliefs because of Chicago Hope. Um, that makes ER. a lot of sense to me, <laughs> I actually. I watched a lot of those shows growing any, up. Any medical thing is like, oh, well, this is an easy fix. Like, you know, Dr. House, he just needs a blood transfusion. It's like, well, he can't because he's, you know, a Jehovah's Witness act break. Exactly. And then he's got a... I've never liked Hugh Laurie, so I never watched that show. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> really? <laughs> I never liked him. Still don't like him. Oh, man. He's too smarmy for me. And I like plenty of smarmy guys. I don't even know what to say now. <laughs> Just too smarmy. I, all right, whatever. Um, Val is not smarmy. I have to say, no. there's some, but there's Easily something about him. He can be... He, can, he has a... A very good comic edge to him mm-hmm. when he's in com- comedies or comic roles. Um, the, but the the thing that strikes me about him is that he can be so like clean cut, all American cop detective, you know, just kind of a basic guy and it's sort of like a preppy guy. But there's always this sort of undertow of something much more delicate and weird you know Mm -hmm. that's and i guess that's i just wish that 
he found some directors who could exploit that better. Like, I wonder, you know, those are, what if, you know, Kubrick or Scorsese had said, yeah, come make a movie with me. I just, I, I just Mm -hmm. wish that he'd had that opportunity because there's something there that I feel like just hasn't fully been, released onto the big screen except yeah. maybe in the doors and maybe a few moments in heat i was about to say i mean he he has still worked with some great directors i mean he worked with yes. scott he worked with yes um michael mann uh oliver stone you know but i think that's actually a very good point that this is somebody that really has a lot of had a lot of like partially tapped talent and energy but was never really mentored by the right person and i mean obviously there there are not that many of these director actor relationships but i the first thing i think of is a um a robert de niro leonardo dicaprio and scorsese mm-hmm. yeah uh, scorsese thing and of course you just mentioned scorsese so i thought of it but yeah he if he had found maybe the right well if if you artists look back to- at 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 um what's his face the pretty boy with the blonde hair leonardo caprio Leo. who we were just talking about i mean the, the pretty the uh middle-aged man with the okay hair he will he will always be floppy haired <laughs> jack whatever the fuck his last yeah. name is twist now he's a lot more like jack nicholson i have to say i'm yes. the king of the world <laughs> yeah what was jack's that's name not, in that movie it's, it's not so, twist jack dawson first dawson of that's all. right jack twist is from i was uh, so mad Mountain. that dawson's creek was not a, a sequel to that movie <laughs> pretty pretty dark you mean titanic 2 titanic first of all is one of my favorite films of all time so i just wanted to put that just, out there that that was my the, first true fandom does, does is that when you, oh, only one of the largest box office movies ever made oh yes okay. exactly but i was also 10 years or uh <laughs> nine when it came out so i was really in that demographic you were in the sweet spot yeah I was in the sweet spot, but sorry, Sherry, where were you? Is saying? that when you fell for Kate Winslet or had you seen yes. her in other? Th- okay. Um, I had seen her, I think in sense and sensibility before, but she didn't really, mm. I fell in love with her as, uh, as Rose. And that just, I mean, then I saw all sorts of movies like within that year. Like I saw Jude, I saw hideous kinky. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I was way too young to be watching any of this stuff, but I, Oh my God, I just loved her so much. I am. Um, did you, and then, of course, Mayor of Easttown came along. And we all remembered again why we love her. I know, but she was like the least interesting part of that show. No, I liked Mayor. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Mayor, uh, Val Kilmer, his uh, high school girlfriend's name was Mayor. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Mayor, Mayor Winningham. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting because uh, just I was like, oh, people are named Mayor. It's not. It's not <laughs> just Doesn't a... she have one more Oscar nomination than he does? Who? Well, he has none. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was what what was say. she nominated for? I think she was nominated for Georgia, if I'm not. Uh, mis- or, okay. uh, yeah, Georgia. Yes, I'm correct. Um, that was a movie with Jennifer Jason Lee. Right. Right. Huh. Yeah. I've never seen it, but yeah, funny how that works out. Oh, she was the uh, yes. the wife in The Outsider. She was really good in that. Also an HBO. What is show. the outsider? Uh, the outsider is the thing with Jason Bateman and the uh, the Australian guy who always looks greasy, uh, Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, totally, totally and, grease ball. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I, I think he's so sexy. I love oh Ben Mendelsohn, but he, he does constantly look <laughs> a little bit like he just got greased up. 
constantly. <laughs> often. I'll, g- I'll give you often, but not constantly. Okay, yes, Were you often. into him as in Captain Marvel? Hmm? I'm not really a Captain Marvel fan. I just like him in other th- in Bloodline, in- where you could see his face. Well, Bloodline, I watched, even though that show fell apart. I kept, I kept watching it. Um, Animal Kingdom. Yes, the movie, Animal not the Kingdom. TBS TV show. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely Animal Kingdom. And then he was in some little thing about uh, he played a gambler. I can't remember the name of that one. A few oh, is years that ago, Mississippi but- Grind? Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think he's phenomenal. Actually, he was in The but... Dark Knight Rises. He was in. Everyone remembers him. As I do Sorrento like his list. I have to one. say. Oh, he's got Big a great list. What? His uh, list. <laughs> I'm a I have a fan of them. Like Coach Beard on Ted Lasso. I'm really into that. Oh yeah, Coach Beard is great. He's I st- a... I'm the only person in America who has not seen Ted Lasso yet. That's I, probably true. Legitimately, <laughs> last month I was finally like, "All right, fine, I'm gonna pay for Apple Plus. I'll watch Ted Lasso," and I did. And, and really did good. it change your life? As uh, is it as uplifting as everyone says? I think or? that it came to me at, a, at an advantageous point to make me feel like not killing myself for another couple months. Yeah. Oh well, that's that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a high rate of return right That's, like yeah because I, I don't know of any terrence malick films to look forward to so right now it's like month to month god you are depressing i know um <laughs> so they, uh, ben mendelson is apparently going to be in a, a d d plus uh, tv show called secret invasion i guess he's playing that dude again right oh uh, oh yes yeah he's that playing a scroll yes a secret scroll. invasion is all about the scrolls basically having been in in the what is it the world earth <laughs> uh, i was going to say the, the us I, I was going to say the us and i felt very assholeish for for thinking that the us is all of the all of You're planet earth. earth well you know yeah. doctor who doesn't care that aliens land in london like every single time which is absurd cuz <laughs> they would always land in new york city obviously <laughs> I feel like they'd land in the middle of nowhere so they could like get their shit together before they, you know, had to reveal themselves. I just want to say According to Reddit, that is the truth, but who knows? <laughs> Oof. Um <laughs> uh, The Outsider has one of the best casts ever. It's Ben Mendelssohn, Bill Camp, it's got Patty Considine, it's got Yul Vasquez, it's got Julianne Nicholson, it's got Mayor Wingham. Um, it's got uh Cynthia Revo. I mean, like this this hmm. this show was friggin' amazing. Anyway, everyone should check it out. Wow. Just like they should check out every movie Val Kilmer's ever been in. Let's talk about the Ghost of the Darkness <laughs> for a while. <laughs> okay. I, we didn't even talk about Willow. Yeah, I've I, never seen it. Oh, really? I haven't either. Oh man. Yeah. It's cute enough, I guess. Yeah. It's... I I really like um, oh my god, uh, Warwick. Oh my god. Warwick What's Davis. Thank you. Warwick Davis. Yeah, he is he's great. That um, was like the movie general. that they made because they felt bad about him being wicked, wasn't it? Yeah. It was it was like Ron Howard being like, You are actually talented. Here's a starring role. Yes. <laughs> but he's great. I love Warwick Davis. Yeah, no, he's he's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we all liked the movie. We and did. we all basically like Val Kilmer. You know, yes. varying degrees of familiarity. And I, I for sure could really, uh, really study him a little bit more as an auteur. 
It is. It is I, I'm, I, you know what's surprising is that the movie makes it very clear that he views the death of his brother as a very important moment <laughs> in his life, and we have literally not talked about it at all. Like, in, in going through everything that we thought, like, I don't know, softened him or humanized him or showed us a, a, a section of his life that we were unaware of, we've talked about, like, you know, his faith and Christian science and everything and his impishness and, you know, his, <laughs> his battle with cancer and just, like, completely were like, eh, the dead brother thing doesn't do it for us. No, no, I, it's not. I, I think that's one of the defining elements of the film, actually. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not that I... I, I downplayed it in my mind, but um, no, it's because it it really, it defines not just him, but his whole family. I mean, it's yeah. so heart-wrenching when he talks about how his father was never the same, how his mother, you know, had to go and reinvent herself and, you know, and I think he's a lot like his mother in that sense, that she has this, what I got out of it was that she has a, deep well of positivity for lack of a better word yeah. yeah um and and that's what i see in in him and kilmer too that he's not asking for anybody's sympathy about any of it about his brother about his cancer about his career he's just like laying it out on the line and saying you know this is what happened and yeah. Um, but it, uh, there's a moment where it's very quick in the film. It's a scene from, I think, his first movie. It was real genius, just, I think. And they yeah, he, where they just point out, out that one of his brother's drawings was part of the set decoration. Yeah. In a scene, I mean, his brother, I think, is very much a part of who he is all the way through his career. Um, cause his brother was like a, a, a kid director, you know, he was, uh, yeah. it's, it's, that's a really extraordinary part of his story that they were, they were living on a ranch that used to belong to Roy Rogers. <laughs> I know that was and, awesome. Uh, and these three brothers, young brothers turned it into a movie set. And a it is studio it, lot. You what know? an amazing privilege, but you know, at the same time, Privilege doesn't necessarily mean that one has talent. So it, it, it he really had these extraordinary circumstances of both uh, being able to foster his talent and also having, you know, some some access that many other people wouldn't have otherwise had access to. Yes, absolutely. I also absolutely. It, it is great that like you know he's he's like chasing a director who can draw out of him you know the the truth that he's seeking to put on film, and it feels like that that passion was like made by his brother. Mm-hmm. And he's like never going to find someone who can who can interact with him in that mm. way, you know. Like his his never first favorite director is his brother who died before he ever right. got to see his talent come to light. Right. And I, mm. you know, as as a as a, a father of a child who went through a divorce, you, I can't even imagine the child went through a divorce. Yeah, yeah. Cora had a very messy breakup <laughs> with uh, <laughs> one of her dolls. I don't know. Um, you know, I as as a divorced father who has a child, um. I can't even imagine like that, that sensation of like, mm-hmm. like just it's, it's your, your turn to watch the kids. Like you gotta be the person in charge. And like, that's just like, I, I yeah. remember, 
when I first was like, okay, it is, it is me and my daughter alone against the world. I am now her sole protector. And I was just like, I can't do literally anything that could be considered morally compromising because if anything happens to her, even if like a dragon rips the roof off of my house and I lose an arm trying to save her from it, if I had a beer earlier in the day, like the headline on the nightly news will be father who was drinking loses child in own home. Mm. <laughs> and so like, I just, yeah, like that, the tragedy of that for that family must've been like extraordinary. Like it's, yeah. it's unthinkable. You know what? Uh, it's funny that you mentioned this part because I, I had actually forgotten about it. I saw the film a few weeks ago, but the thing that maybe this just speaks to my personality and my personal experience, but what stood out to me more was the legal battles that he had with his father, oh, or yeah. at least the financial battles. Um, because I am, I am much more attuned to these family sagas about money and contracts and being a con artist and um that just seems to fulfill something as my husband would say you come from a family of like pirates thieves and liars so <laughs> i think that's the thing that i clung to a lot more where i maybe related or i don't know i mean i say that as somebody who lost uh, close family members at a young age but that was the thing that sort of hit my pathos was like oh no like the sins of the father and having to pay for those and just the battles that come with these dynasties and how to, how to actually like, like how do you reconcile the um, moral, the moral flagrancies of the parent? And he ended up paying for that. Didn't he? Yeah. That's, it was so surprising to me because especially because of the general sense of Kilmer as someone who can be, and I hate to use this word again, difficult, and I'm not saying I agree with it or buy into it. But it's the brand. When he, yeah, and when he's talking about that um, period with his father, where his father basically, you know, um had lost everything that he had given him, that Kilmer had given him and everything was on the line. And I fully expected Kilmer to, he said, I had two choices. I could either just, you know, sell everything, sell my land, sell, you know, everything I had to bail him out or fight it. And I fully expected to hear him say that he fought it. Mm -hmm. You know, it really, uh, I mean, that to me was a huge um, window into who this guy is. Another. He, uh, please go ahead. No, no. I mean, I mean just the, the way he rolled with it. And again, that could that could be the story we're being told. Maybe there, it was a lot more tension and friction and, you know, fucking hatred going on there. But mm -hmm. the way it's presented in the film is that um, it he knew that it was more important to to smooth it over even though it was a, a, a great cost to himself yeah that's to me like maybe the true tragedy of this movie now that hmm. i think about it well i'll say it because yeah, i think it's very easy to say that somebody's health changes in their health is a tragedy but actually like he still he has a lot of buoyancy and he's with his chi children and they love him. 
and he there i don't know he just seems to be this person that has a lot of love love and a lot of humor and a lot mm-hmm. of um just like emotional emotional gooeyness to him and that and his illness doesn't take away from from any of that whereas i think there's a lot of tragedy in not being able to fulfill your ambitions because you think you owe something to a parent. And maybe this theme is just very high on my mind because we watched say anything a few weeks ago. So I've been thinking Uh. a lot about this, Um, but you know, it's, it's hard for children to pay for the sins of their parents and Mm. to do it with a loving heart. I don't know, just it, that storyline, storyline, <laughs> that part of his life just really intrigued me, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, it was, it definitely was surprising to me. Yeah. 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 And his father just in general seemed like somebody who, uh, listen, when you, there's a lot of lies in a family and a lot of shadiness uh, that it's, it's such a trauma in and of itself. So right. I'm, sure that there was a lot of underwritten things in his past and maybe if his father is that good a con artist that kind of also speaks to his own abilities to be chameleon like and what is what are the implications of that right it, it, that's how i read it's, it at least yeah no that's fascinating and and i think really that that's for kilmer that that's a big part of what the documentary is doing um, mm-hmm. presenting a life and a performance and how do they entwine how do they where do they diverge I mean he's he's really asking a lot of questions there I think about his life mm-hmm. yeah and it, it's hard not to Find that I mean, forget Val Kilmer for a second. I think any story about a person looking back on their life um, has a lot of that bittersweetness to it. I mean, the entire Oscar selection of 2019 or uh, 2020, I think, was really about the question of aging and death and what it means to be no longer as relevant as you once were. And we saw that in tons of movies like um like joker and um parasite and the irishman they all mm-hmm. and there was other ones um even ford versus ferrari had this like sort of machismo thing going on and and so we this is such a common thing in in film but this was maybe the first time i actually felt i felt that deeply in a really long time i felt that deeply of instead of just scorning another protagonist who's you know decrying their lack of their slow lack of relevance to the world i was actually moved by it and moved by him and maybe that's just his personality we get to see him doing i mean he he actually steps away to address the camera at one of these fan events Mm -hmm. and acknowledges that yeah, a lot of people, maybe most people would say this is about as low as you can go. Mm-hmm. Re- reliving your your past hits, you know, your top 10 roles, whatever, signing autographs, all that shit. And he said that he feels grateful rather than ashamed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I believed it. I, I don't think he was, you know, 
putting us on when he said that. Agreed. And that to me is, that's pretty phenomenal. I, especially in within the Hollywood culture, I can't imagine, I mean, how many actors who had achieved, you know, the celebrity that he achieved would, would want to be seen in that light. Yeah. He seems just like ugh, a beautiful soul, like a thing that I, a phrase I almost <laughs> never say, and I feel all grossed out saying it. Is that so? That's a three-word thing. Ugh, uh, no, a four-word thing. Ugh, a beautiful soul. Yeah. <laughs> ugh, beautiful or maybe soul. it's a performance. Like who knows? But I well, think I mean, it's genuine. I don't know how much of like you know. I, I hate to get real existential, but like every aspect of your life is a performance. True. Like, We're all true. wearing a mask. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> this. <laughs> I love how this this episode has devolved into everyone going oh <laughs> before they acknowledge like a universal truth. But yeah, like you know, I um, I've actually I've I've noticed that like uh, my masks are starting to collide um, because I'm becoming much more ingrained in my community, and so I'm having to like open up to people that I live around, and so like I've had to suddenly be like, oh, I have to start unifying some of the aspects of my personality that I would usually be able to, like, filter and, you know, fracture between places because, you know, people at the dog park are recognizing me from the farmer's market, are recognizing me from the distillery, are recognizing me from walking around the neighborhood with my daughter and my dog. And so, like, I can't be three different, four different people. I now have to pick which aspects I want to carry over and then when you add on to that, I'm going to start taking my daughter to school and I'm going to enter into that whole social sphere. And that happens to be at my church. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to have to like mellow out maybe or risk alienating like a shit ton of people that I mm. never really needed to care about me before. This is a really interesting I, uh, flip on this concept of context collapse. And it's this term in sociology where you have a different personality wherever you go you know you have your work mm -hmm. personality you have your social media personality whatever um and then suddenly all those things converge yeah. so maybe that's you being at a wedding and then all you know your college friends and your high school friends and your middle school friends all kind of come together and it's sort of anxiety producing and there's been a lot of studies about how social media has made this even more present because suddenly your facebook friends with all of your work people mm. and all of your um, frisbee people and your mom and how you're kind of marrying all these different aspects of your life. But what I'm seeing of what you're describing, Brian, is not so much a, a context collapse in the traditional sense, but <laughs> this idea that you are having to, uh, what's, I just thought of this word, almost like polish yourself <laughs> yeah. in all of these different contexts, because you're the one that's cut like, the, not so much that your contexts are collapsing, but that you are having to collapse yourself uh, to fit into a certain like, streamline. You're streamlining your personality between these different spaces. Right. I, and I, 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 I legitimately blame the dog park and the distillery. I've started going to the dog park. And so my daughter comes with me. And so I've met a bunch of people that I never would have met before. And they now know me and my daughter. And the distillery is doing stuff at the, the farmer's market. And so I'm there. And so suddenly I am super visible. And, oh, no. and like someone was like at the dog park who I'd never seen before. And they're like, oh, you're, you're, you're Brian. You've got the thing at the farmer's market, the distillery, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, 
Oh, fuck. Am I a fixture? Oh, no. Of the... Yeah, you have to be this upstanding person. Right. I was like, am I a fixture <laughs> of the community now? And they're Ew. like, oh, you took the pictures that the mayor posted on the website about okay, the, the opening horrible. of the dog park. And I was like, I'm fucked. <laughs> How I was dare like, you <laughs> take pictures that the mayor posted? I was like, well, that's the thing. Is like, I used to be the guy that people would look at side-eyed when they were walking their dogs because I was outside on my front porch smoking a cigarette. And now I don't even smoke mm. anymore. And so, so you don't even these... have your dirt bag... Uh, like, <laughs> exactly your bag merit so i don't even have that i like i can't be like hey all other dog park people while we're talking about our pets like their children but also my child is here so i get to talk about her too i'm gonna go over in that corner and smoke a cigarette now to like keep you back you've lost all your cred man i know and when people find out that you've quit smoking they love you more than if you never smoked at all because That's suddenly true. you're very strong <laughs> yep you but anyway, have overcome so, this moral problem. I smoking. know. Uh, I kicked the addiction. You, uh, you know, I've heard nicotine's more, the most addictive drug of all. <laughs> this <laughs> anyway. reminds me of when I may have m- mentioned this story before, but when I was about five, my mother, she still smoked for quite a long time. And uh, so she was addic- addicted to cigarettes. I was addicted to my pacifier still mm-hmm. at the age of five. Yeah, and I was so there. I worked and my grandmother brokered this deal where she's like, if your mother quit smoking, you're quitting the pacifier, my binky. Uh. <laughs> and I, I went through with it. I had to. I had I had staked everything. And my mother, God damn it, quit. She did the patch and everything. So I gave up the binky. No, I think that my parents just stole my binky and refused to buy me another one. And that's why I had to quit. And that seems a little bit more in like, I don't know. Why did they give me a choice? Why did they allow me to use a binky until I was in kindergarten? Like there's a lot of questions here. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it, it's one of those things I think about all the time is like, okay, is it better to spend 15 minutes reasoning with my daughter to get her to understand why she needs to stop doing this? Or should I just put on dad voice and get it fucking over with? Like, <laughs> Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's a, it's a whole elongated uh, personal way of talking about the fact that like, yeah, you know, you're constantly shifting your personality. So, you know, Val might be doing that, especially because he's always filming, you know, yeah. if, if he right. must know right. what he's doing, you know, I do a lot of still photography, which is great because I don't become an aspect of it. But when you're filming, even if you're filming on your phone or something, people like address you and you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, I'm in this now. Um so that's 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 a whole big thing. The other thing is, I think it's always valuable to even, you know, and, and we admit here that we're not 100% on exactly how difficult Val Kilmer was ever, but it's still always a valuable thing to listen to the way someone talks about themselves um, mm. because it'll let you know what kind of person they are. And, um, you know, this doesn't come off in a kind of like, I was a misunderstood genius. I never did anything wrong. Like, the, you know, it's it's not quite warts and all in a way that comes off as self-flagellating. But I mean, he definitely he definitely talks about the mistakes that he's made and the things that he's done. And um, oh, I think yeah. that, you know, there's there is a kind of of grace behind it that I find to yeah. be I find to be a lot more meaningful and touching than if he had decided to go. I was a real asshole. Like that's that that fucking sketch from the second season of I Think You Should Leave. If anyone has seen that. I've never seen it. No? Alright, never mind. I haven't seen it either. Bill, but... have you? What? The the second season of I Think You Should Leave. Uh you haven't watched the first season. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't happening? even hear of it until like three weeks ago. Alright, well this is bananas. <laughs> anyway, all the uh Tim Robinson fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. Um 
You know, the Slack channel is about to explode. For it's going to go nuts. That's the only thing they're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I think that we're all really on the same page here. It's been quite a while since we since we had an episode where where everybody not only felt positively about the film, but sort of had similar sentiments about it or uh, weren't we, like on a spectrum last week wasn't like that what did we talk about last week um everybody i mean i think i was maybe the most or bell and i were the most skeptical of, of the green knight although we all liked it to some degree but i think i mean luca was a was a was a hit <laughs> i didn't like that movie yeah i was about to say bill do you forget that how <laughs> I, I thought you i thought we all liked it you it were the cute. only one then it was cute, but just a little dithering, I guess. Oh I my know. god! Well, I'm sorry, not everybody <laughs> as a, as seen it a man, twenty times. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I saw it twenty times when we recorded. By now, it's way past thirty-five. Thick. <laughs> Look, it's not like I'm sitting around being like, "Oh, well, three hours to go until I have to go to bed. Time to watch Luca alone twice." It's my, it's my daughter. <laughs> just keep blaming her. Also, I'm catching up on the episode that you did on F9. And I was listening to it today, and uh, I was very amused when you said that you didn't even tell Cora that that Sing Two came out or is coming out because you just oh, yeah. don't want to see. It. Uh, yeah, no. And the next the next thing she's never finding out about is the Paw Patrol movie. No, no. Uh, uh. Though she's in Texas right now, so if she did know about it, I think that her grandparents would take her. But I don't know that well, I, I want to do Maybe that to my should. mother. I don't want to be written out of the will. <laughs> though my mother did take her to a paw patrol breakfast that was thrown okay i i'm i immediately apologize to everyone in the slack channel who makes fun of me for being quote-unquote rich my mother took my daughter to a paw patrol <laughs> breakfast that was thrown at the country club oh dear the, <laughs> and there were there were people dressed up like sky and um chase so I don't so know what that is. This is what the Jews were the missing time. when we were not allowed in. <laughs> right, I know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, first of all, this isn't like a 300-year-old old world country club. I'm sure this one was like done in like the early 90s. Oh, and that's an excuse. So, it's, so then it's not a real country club, is that I, what you mean? Honestly, <laughs> I was a little a little disappointed when I like walked up and it wasn't covered in ivy and made of brick. Uh-huh. I was like, look, if we're going to belong to a country club, let's fucking belong to a country club. Right, all right? right. I want the Masons to be meeting in the basement. <laughs> you know, I you know, I love pasta Wednesday. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but... <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, speaking of that episode with F9, I just have a quick bone to pick with you, oh, which shit. is that I rate films out of four stars and you will never shame me out of it. And it is not because of Roger Ebert. It is because of the New York Post. <laughs> oh, OK. Newspaper of my childhood. <laughs> about to say that's not better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Because he said that everybody who rates out of four stars is a monster. It's a monster. Wow, mm-hmm. that's strong. Look, yes. Grover was a monster. The tree from uh, when a monster calls is a monster. Just because you're a monster doesn't mean you're like morally okay. corrupt. It just means that you're so un- inhuman. I'm inhuman. Huh. Yes. A term of endearment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, what? Lady Gaga calls all of her fans her little monsters. It's totally a term of endearment. Okay. Or is that Kesha? I can't remember. No, that's I don't know. Kesha, Lord Almighty. No, <laughs> she does not have a fan base unless they're called like the Keshis or something. Animals. She calls them animals. Animals oh, are does the she? Kesha. Kesha. 
Lord, I'm just thinking of like the A and R departments being like, what should the what should her the fans be called? <laughs> Let's do a quick focus group. So according to this 2015 Billboard article, a Kesha fan explains being an animal. We may seem crazy, but we're really nice, actually. Aw, that's cute. Mm. Anyway, um, I stand with Kesha. Uh, what? Yeah, I mean, ditto. But... <laughs> so anyway, just now that we have that sorted out, are there any other thoughts on Val, either the person or the documentary? Sherry, is he cute uh, or not? Hot or not? Val Kilmer. Wait. He's he. I understand objectively that he is, but I, he's just not my type. Like, mm-hmm. he hasn't been your type the entire sweep of his career. Right. Okay. I think but that's not in a, I, I'm not put off by him. I'm, I mean, I, I see his beauty. I recognize his beauty. He's just not my type. Mm-hmm. All right. I feel you. I, I get that. <laughs> I, know, I know how that goes. Yeah. Um, I, I, should have, I should have had us each go around and say what our favorite Val Kilmer movie is, but... It feels like it's too late for that now. I don't even know if I have one, frankly. I don't know that I could pick one. Yeah, I think that's that's the reason <laughs> that I was problem, like. Yeah, different problem. Yeah, for me, it's easy because there's only one that I really, really liked. So. Okay, so which one is that? The Doors. Okay, all right. Bill, do you have one off the top of your head? Mm. Mm. Uh, I feel like that means yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, he's he's had a very interesting career. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll be super basic and I'll go with uh, I'll go with Tombstone. Okay, that's Robin that's Bar. not that basic. I, was, uh, I thought you were going to say Heat when you said that. Yeah, you Come know, I, there's not a lot of Val Kilmer films that I actually have seen and also liked per se. I would like to see The Doors. Um, however, I really liked him in Top Gun. He was really the only thing I liked about that movie, actually. Oh, my God. There's just... Congratulations. He's coming back. Someone I listen know. through yeah, on this episode yeah. and send me a DM uh, with everything that I have to have a fight with Robin about. <laughs> There's so many things. <laughs> Wait, just... was he not the best part of that movie? No, he is the best part in that movie, but then you were like, and there's nothing else. There's just nothing else I really like. I mean, it's so not my kind of movie. It's like, it, yes, it's a bit I, okay. I don't mind military movies. I love Officer and a Gentleman. Like I like, you know, I love uh, Private Benjamin. So it's not military movies that bother me, but it's like movies about military sort, sort of like post uh, or like Cold War era men just like having dick measuring contests. Like that does nothing for me. All right. Well, I can't wait to talk about Top Gun Maverick with you. I know. Uh, unfortunately, we have to cover that. Assuming Jordan. that, I'm sorry. If you all are fucking making me watch Annette, I get to talk about Top Gun Maverick. Okay, oh, I, I am not making you watch Annette, and also you're making me watch a James Bond movie. I don't remember doing that. I'm mad. I don't about remember that. agreeing to that. <laughs> okay. Have any of you watched Annette yet? Or Robin I have watched has. Annette. And <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, I did it, too. It grew on me, and we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk okay, about. Okay. All right. I, mean, I didn't right. hate it per se, but it definitely. Uh, you definitely said you. You hated it. Oh, made I did. it I sound did. like yeah. we were shoving bamboo shoots up your fingernails. It was horrific in like the first <laughs> twenty minutes, and then it, some. It, listen, it's not great, and we will definitely talk about it. But it 
it sort of reaches some kind of equilibrium by the end. So I is it didn't friggin quite solid? It. It's not even <laughs> solid. It's like there's wow. one performance in that movie that actually works for me. Oh, good. So if I just if you just suffer being. through the first unbearable 20 minutes, you'll get to the point where it's sort of passable. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty unbearable through the whole thing. And maybe it was yeah, just bearable that I started paying attention to my phone. But <laughs> it 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 definitely gets so weird that you just can't help but be fascinated by it even if it's not good so and and uh, david rooney and i had talked about this and we were kind of in agreement about it yeah he didn't like it he, but it it yeah. did get some good reviews amazing yeah i don't really understand it so. yeah maybe, maybe i'm just a plebe or something i don't know well it's got it's got the internet's uh. boyfriend in it and everyone's favorite conspiracy theorist. Yes. Theorist? Theorist. It's really... I need Wait, to who's the conspiracy theorist? Oh, um, yeah, her. Forget her. I don't like her. Okay. Who? Marianne Cotillard. She's a conspiracy theorist? She's a truther. Like a 9-11 truther. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. That's not why I don't our, like our, her, though. I didn't... I thought you had to be American to be a truther. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes I've, it even I've more annoying. I've just learned something, yeah. <laughs> it's like, butt out of our conspiracies. <laughs> You don't hear me talking about the layout of the De Gaulle airport. <laughs> you stay exactly. away from Denver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's just kind of a wisp in this movie. But anyway, I don't want to spoilers for next time. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. That was um, a film. So yeah, as for me, my favorite Val Kilmer movie, uh, discounting all the ones that have already been claimed, I'm going to say Spartan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like- song to song. I almost said song to song just because it's like, well, it's it's the only one that's directed by Terrence Malick. But I feel like it's not truly a showcase of Val Kilmer. Okay. But it is a great movie that he is in. Yes. So you're just a shill for Terrence Malick. 100%. Yeah. Welcome okay. to the podcast. Have you been here That's long? true. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vazemir. Anyway, uh, so that's it. Um, once again, Val is on... Uh, net, net, nope, nope. Val is on Amazon, Amazon. Prime. <laughs> And I need to go to bed soon. Um, <laughs> what are we? What are we talking about next week? We are talking about Coda, the new film that's going to be on Apple TV Plus, starring Marley Matlin. Oh, wunderbar! I um, I have Apple TV Plus because once again, I decided I needed to see Ted Lasso. <laughs> right, and you kept it. I did, yeah, because the next season was coming out. So I was like, well, I might as well hang on to it. Also, um, it's got some good stuff on it. I would say Mythic Quest was also a very good... Uh, yeah, it's decent. A very good thing, yeah. I'm, uh, you would like to... Schmigadoon because it has a lot of the tropes of musicals, and I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, I considered... So today I was like, oh, I should start watching something else you know, while I'm, while I'm doing work. And I was like, I could do Schmigadoon. But then I decided instead that I would, for the first time ever, start watching The Office... Well, Jesus, which one? The the, the American the... one. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, I um, I like a bunch of my friends like talking office quotes, and I just have to be like, ha ha, yeah, that one. I've wow. never seen any. You of the are office really before. behind the times, brother. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. yeah, I am. I um, I just never. It it wasn't. You know, I think it started happening when I was like in high school or college, and at that point, I was like, oh, I'm too dark and moody for a sitcom. Hmm. But you know what? <laughs> It, so I will say about The Office, I do enjoy it. I mean, it's a great for a rerun, but it's very much of its time in terms of its comedy flavor, uh, which was surprising because it, even though the humor is so universal in some ways, you're like, oh, man, this is absolutely fucking 2008 right now and I can't handle it. 
Yeah, he. I mean, it's just I don't know him and Leslie Nope are like I can't. I don't know if like we're supposed to think that they're like sociopaths or if we're supposed to like them or not. <laughs> like I. I, because I've only ever seen Parks and Rec. Obviously, I haven't seen The Office, but like, I would watch Parks and Rec and be like, "I fucking hate this woman. <laughs> Why is everyone in love with Leslie Dope? She's a horrible human being. Because she's a nice person with a good she, personality, and you would just like she, she is she is a she has a terrible personality. She has like a steamrolling, vindictive, well, yes. narcissistic, solipsistic right. like. It's it's she is like four steps away from becoming a dictator. Um, but Michael Scott is like, oh, this guy just flat out fucking sucks. He, he gets better <laughs> over time. I guess I'm only like two episodes into the second season. You're going to make all the Gen Z viewers real mad if you keep saying bad things about The Office. I'm going to keep watching it. I like uh, Jim and Pam. I feel like that's the most important part. What? Yes. Right. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, but here's the thing. Once again, I'm still early on. So, like, if something happens with them and they become like not good, then I'll be like, all right. Well, now they suck too. It just it just show just went on for too long. And well, just, yeah. yes, oh, that yes. It peaked in season three, and then, well, and then it, it became fine. it became too sitcommy. Mm-hmm. The, the British show really kept its edge. It, it ran much a much shorter time, so well, yeah, it was easier to do. But... Yeah, the British shows are always like, we're going to have five episodes over the course of a season, then we're going to wait three years, then we're going to have another five episodes over the course right. of a season, then we're going to wait another six years, and then we'll wrap <laughs> it up with a made-for-TV movie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So well, that's that. um, I think that's that. Yeah, uh, we're yeah. So next week we're talking about Coda, uh, which should mm-hmm. be fun. I love Marley Madden. Um, and uh, don't forget to get your free one month subscription to movie by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash filmstage show to give us your money. And uh, that is that's about it. So let's tell the fine people at home where it can be found between now and the next time that we uh, talk in their ears. Uh, let us begin with our guest, Sherry. Where can people find you and your work online? Um, the Hollywood Reporter. Right. Excellent. And okay, can I just say, Sherry is a wonderful writer. I read all of her reviews. I highly recommend you check out her review of uh, 1971, the year that music changed everything. That was a great um, write-up of that show, and it made me watch it. And her review of Val is what made me watch this and decide that this was a great choice for the podcast. And yeah, you're just a just a great writer. So everybody oh, should check her out. I um, I need I need the naming convention of of the 19 something to stop because you said 1971, <laughs> and my mind was immediately like, oh, that's the one with World War One, and I was like, no, that's 1917. What? It's the one because I heard 197. <laughs> And so I was like 17, the World War One thing. And then it was like 19... was the World War One. And then you were like 1971. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's the one where the, the British soldier gets trapped behind in Ireland, right? And it's like, no, I think that's 72. So I just... What the hell is that? You've never heard of that? What is this? It's, A movie? It's... Yeah. Yeah. Wait, it's called 1972? I think it's just called... Se- oh, it's called 71... Yeah, no, I'm not familiar with this. It's 71. I think it's got Jack O'Connell in it. Mm. Oh, no. ew. Yeah. Wouldn't watch I, I it. And Sean that. Harris. 
Mm. We talked about last week. <laughs> that yeah. raspy throated motherfucker. It's about it's about a uh, in 1971, a young and disoriented British soldier is accidentally abandoned by his unit following a riot in the deadly streets of Belfast. Hmm. Never can, heard of it. You can watch it on Epics, apparently. Um, oh boy! It was it was like a small hit, and then uh, the director, I think, he made um, White Boy Rick. I, I actually like that movie. And then it looks like he helped to produce Lovecraft Country. Oh, I didn't hmm. like that TV show. What? I don't know why oh. you care. <laughs> uh, know. Anyway, uh, so yes, anyway. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram at BillStagram, uh, where I feel the need for speed. All right. And Rumbar. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R and you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. And as for me, uh, you can find me and all my stuff uh, all over the internet at Brian J. Rowan, uh, Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, my personal site, BrianJRowan.com and of course, uh, SchmidtSpirits.com if you'd like to see more about my distillery if you're in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. And, of course, you can find my writing in every episode of this here podcast by going to thefilmstage.com. So that is it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. <laughs>